Thanks, Jonna. For a moment, I thought that we'd have to ask you to place your orders for takeouts if we're going to sit under his word tonight. The whole day and night, I promise you, it's not going to be that long. You'll be able to get home in time for your lunch. My great pleasure, privilege, always is to be able to minister the Word of God. It's, uh, it's not a, a task I take lightly. It's a weighty thing because the Word of God is so incredibly valuable to us. And so I trust that we do open our hearts to receive that which Jesus wants to say to us. Thanks, Jonna. I've got my little stand. Appreciate that. But I just love this man's servant art, don't you? So we are launching, as John highlighted, our new preaching series called Defined. And so it's very interesting that as the Holy Spirit works with us and moves with us, is that I believe that all of our series are interlinked. And so you remember we covered Anchored? Remember that? Habits? Remember that? And it just seems like the Lord is building something into our lives just line by line, length by length. And so Defined will build on those two series that we completed earlier this year. And so why do a series called Defined? It's quite a broad topic. It's quite a broad subject. Well, the reality is is that we're living in the context of a world that is changing rapidly and growing exponentially day by day. Is that not true? Just look around and see the technological, technological, Shelley can have your teeth back, yeah, changes, social changes. The world is rapidly changing and growing. And so as Christ followers in this changing world, we need to know who we are and how we to navigate life through these changes in this incredibly diverse world. So you know what the world's population currently stands at? Eight billion people. It's massive. Like I try to get my head around that figure, you know? Eight billion people. Now, it's very interesting that 8 billion people are represented in our world with incredible diversity. Different tribes, different tongues, different colors, different ways of speaking, different ways of doing things, different belief systems. And into this multitude of 8 billion people, you have this group called Christians that have to live. And we are called to shape this world, not be part of this world. So very interesting that we're doing a defined series linked into that. And so it's beautiful. I love diversity. I just look around in this room, and there's diversity. Look at your neighbor. He and she look so different to you. (laughs) Act differently at times. Have different likes. The way that you dress and the same love and the same worship. Amen? And so within all of this diversity, beautiful, we celebrate it, but it's also challenging because sometimes what happens is the world tries to impose its value system on us. And if we aren't aware and if we don't guard ourselves, and if we're not standing firm as the church in Jesus Christ, there is the potential not to be in the world, but to be of the world. That's a challenge that we live. So it's very important that in this season, we're learning how to be defined as Christians in this world that is changing and it is growing day by day. So Moses himself 
right back in the book of Exodus we read, Moses himself understood the challenges of living in a diverse world. (laughs) He knows that he, along with Israel, were called people of God, and he knows that they would be living in a world that weren't people of God. And so throughout, when you read the book of Exodus, and you, and you read a lot of Moses, we're going to look at one of them, the journeys that he has up in the mountain, it's as Mount Sinai, that is, as God speaks to him, says, this is how you to live. These are the patterns. These are the practices you need to establish so that I can discern who are my people and who is the world. But also that you can behave and act in a way that represents who you are called. And so during one of his journeys up Mount Sinai, which was one of many climbs up the mountain, like he must have got to the point, he said, Lord, when are you going to stop calling me up the mountain? I'm so tired of climbing. (laughs) But each moment up there was a significant moment where God spoke to him and revealed stuff to him, not only for himself, but for his people. And on one such journey up the mountain, uh, there's this exchange that happens with Moses and God. And we pick it up in Exodus chapter 33. We're going to read from verses 13 to 16. Don't have your Bibles with you. It's okay. I think it will be up on the screen. And so Moses is talking with God. And he says to the Lord, he says to God, If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this people, this nation, sorry, is your very own people. The Lord replied. It's quite uh, arrogant, I think, of Moses to like approach God and ask him this. But it's interesting that Moses desires to know more of God. That's why he asks this question. The, re- the Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses, quite arrogantly, I believe, says again, he's like persistent. He says, if you don't personally go with us, I love that. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably upon me, on me and your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence. Highlight this in your Bible, please. This is going to be the anchor point for us over the next six to seven weeks. For your presence, your presence, God, amongst us, sets your people and me, not just your people and me, apart from all the other people on the earth. So he says, your presence with us will define who we are, how we live. That's in effect what he's saying. Very significant request this from Moses. Unless you go with us, God, unless your presence is with us, what will define us? What will set us apart from the rest of the world? And so we read this, we think Moses is quite arrogant, asking God this question. But you need to understand again the context of which Moses is asking this question. And so one of his previous, long, long it's weary, it's hard work, but when he came down, the Bible says his face was radiant because he had met with God. There's something significant, friends, about meeting with God in the moment when He speaks into our hearts and into our lives. But that one's just an aside. That's a message all on its own. And so it's a very significant request, this. Unless you go with us, what will define us? 
from the rest of the world. And so one of these previous journeys up the mountain, Moses has a very humbling encounter. I believe every encounter was humbling. But this one moment in the previous chapter, we're going to read it now, is a very, very frightening moment. It is frightening, it is humbling, but it's very significant. Because it happened, we don't have time to go and unpack it all, but Moses on one of his other journeys up the mountain, he was up there so long with God that the Israelites were beginning to wonder where their leader was. They gave up hope. They build a golden calf and they begin to worship this golden calf. Moses goes up the mountain and God now is calling Israel to account for that kind of worship. And so uh, he goes up the mountain, Exodus 32, verses 9 to 13. This is the context, I believe, that God is speaking to Moses when Moses asks, if we do not leave this place without your presence, because what will define us or what will distinguish us from the rest of the world? So let's go back one chapter, Exodus 32, verses 9 to 13. And so Moses is meeting with God, not like a third-hand revelation, Personal revelation where God speaks to him. The Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people. Note that God doesn't say, yeah, my people, these people. They were his people. <laughs> oh, now leave me alone. So my fierce anger can blaze against them. And I will destroy them. <laughs> Imagine hearing that on behalf of people that you've led out of Egypt. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. But Moses, but Moses tried to pacify the Lord his God. O oh Lord, he said, why are you so angry with your own people, whom you brought from the land of Egypt, with such great power and such a strong hand. Why let the Egyptians say, their God rescued them with the evil intention of slaughtering them in the mountains and wiping them from the face of the earth. Turn away. Turn away from your fierce anger. Change your mind about this, this terrible disaster, it is horrible, that you have threatened against your people. In that moment, friends, what Moses gets is this revelation of God's judgment. But more importantly, what he sees is a compassionate, gracious, loving, tender nature of God expressed, which we see in verse 14. Moses begs God on behalf of this rebellious, stubborn people to change his mind. Lord, please don't destroy them. I know that, I know that they deserve it, but please don't destroy them. Give them a second chance. Verse 14. Amazing how the Lord listens to the prayer or the cry of this man. So the Lord, that Bible records, so the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had threatened to bring on his people. In that moment, friends, what Moses has experienced is the grace of God manifest. He says they deserve it, but I'm going to relent and I'm going to extend grace. Isn't that a picture of our own lives? Right in that one verse is a picture of the gospel for us. He gets to see the presence of God manifest in incredible grace 
This is the revelation that Moses carries and will always carry with them. So when he says, please do not let your presence go with us, he's saying, let your grace continue with us. Grace of salvation. Eh? One of the things. For your presence amongst us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. What sets us apart today from every other person on the face of the earth? That we have received the church. Those who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, who have received the gospel and walking in the power of the gospel, sets us apart from everyone else. Or does it? They now carry evidence of God's grace. God's presence with them. It's interesting that God says that he will give them rest. Okay? We read that earlier. You know what that word rest means? Freed from God's judgment. Peace with God. Reconciliation. Redemption through the power of the cross for us. So I said it's a picture of the gospel. It's applicable to our context today. Come quickly to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read from verses 2 to 7. Sort of a picture of the account in Exodus for us, isn't it? You used to live in sin. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. In other words, stubborn, rebellious people. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. But, but, this is the but that Moses hears when he's face to face with God. And he implores, he says, please don't destroy them. But God is so rich in mercy. And he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. For he raised us from the dead, along with Christ Jesus. And this is the reason. Not a full stop, really, for the sake of breaking down a sentence. But this is why we've been united with Christ. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he has done for us who are united in Christ Jesus. So Lord, do not let us leave the cry of Moses, this place unless your presence goes with us. You know that the presence of God with us, church, today testifies to the power of the gospel. So when we say, Lord, we want more of your presence, it's not just that I could feel happy. Amen? So I could experience a fullness of the power of the gospel and the power of this gospel that transforms a life and secures for us an eternal inheritance, everything that God has for us to live in on this side of eternity, we get to demonstrate to this world that we live amongst. 
If we've been united with Christ, the question then is, surely, surely we should have his fingerprints all over our lives. It's a natural deduction that if I've been united with Christ, then surely his DNA is within. His fingerprints are all over and with me. Then surely there's got to be evidence of that presence with me. Not just in words. A demonstrative presence of God with me. And the way that I live my life and the choices that I make, the things that I pursue, the things that I apportion value to, the presence of God. And so there's evidence of His grace. So firstly, we are marked. The Bible talks about marked. We are marked distinctively. Not just a wishy-washy thing. There's a distinctive mark that we carry when we walk with the presence and we carry the presence of God. It is seen. It is, it is experienced. It is demonstrated by us. Galatians chapter 1, verses 21 to 22, Paul says, this is but the power of the gospel includes you who were once far away. You were his enemies. It means life has changed distinctively. Life has changed. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now, present tense, evidence of the presence of God. Present tense. Now, he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And as a result of that work... He has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless. <laughs> Evidence of God's grace of salvation, holy and blameless. As you stand before him without a single fault. That's beautiful to me, the power of the gospel. We can stand before the Father, peace in our heart. At rest, knowing that there's nothing that can separate me from his love. The Bible says that we were his enemies, but now we are holy and blameless. In other words, I don't keep doing what I used to do before becoming reconciled with Christ. If I'm now a Christian, I live by a separate set of standards and patterns, kingdom ones. Evidence of his grace. Evidence of his presence with me. I live in a way that glorifies him, not glorifies self. Not only are we marked distinctively, we are identified differently. These three subtitles. We are identified differently. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22. Paul again writes, says that he has identified us. Please say with me, us. <laughs> As his own. Please say with me, his own. He has identified us, it's you and me, friends, as his own, by placing the Holy Spirit in our hearts as the first installment. I love that. It's like a banking term. As the first installment that guarantees everything he has promised us. Carry the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit with us. Eugene Peterson translates the Bible, the message. He says, he has stamped us. I love that. You know those big stamps that you get in the government? Like you know that you've been stamped. <laughs> like a thing of authority, isn't it? <laughs> you carry a piece of paper from the government with a stamp, you think of your passport when it gets stamped. gives you access to places. Opens doors for you. <laughs> he has stamped us with an eternal pledge. 
eternal pledge. I love that. A sure beginning of what he has destined to complete. So when we are given at birth, spiritual rebirth, we are given this pledge of God, the Holy Spirit. Secure. To walk with us, to lead us, to guide us, to counsel us. But also to enable us to live anticipating eternal life with Jesus Christ. Points to the, that day when we will see Jesus. As Moses spoke with God face to face, the Holy Spirit will lead us into that place where we will see Jesus face to face. That day of eternity. Beautiful. The world offers temporary pleasures, but we now live through the power of the Holy Spirit, friends, with eternity in mind. Not only are we marked distinctively, not only are we identified differently, but we are also empowered definitively. <laughs> you corner, you hey, are those alliteration of D's, eh? I worked hard on those this week. <laughs> empowered definitively. When we carry God's presence, there's no denying it. It can be seen. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21. It is God. It is God who enables us to stand firm for Christ. He has commissioned us, Paul says. What's he commissioned us for? Good question to ask. To live a life that gratifies self. He has commissioned us to bring glory to His name and to demonstrate the wonder of a presence with Him to this world that we live amongst. In light of our lives being defined by Jesus, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be encouraged to demonstrate practically what the presence of God looks like in a life that carries His presence. So we're going to be looking at worship. Who and why we worship. Very interesting is that I went to Pretoria some years ago. We are doing a tour through the city. It was some church group who was giving us a tour. And we drove past Loftus. <laughs> and the guy said, hey, there's the altar of worship. I said, no, it's not the altar of worship. Altar of worship is at the feet of Jesus Christ. I think, John, are you preaching on worship next Sunday? If our lives have been defined by the presence of God, then how we pray and to whom we seek help. Navigate this life. If our lives have been de defined by the presence of God, then it shapes our generosity, how we give. I'm going to be covering that. If our lives have been defined by the presence of the Holy Spirit, friends, then we hear His voice and we are obedient to it. We're going to cover that. And then lastly, if our lives have been defined by the presence of the Holy Spirit, that I live for the glory of Him, my life is given in service to Him. In His prayer to the Father, this is what Jesus, John chapter 17, verse 16, says these most amazing words. He says, we do not belong to this world. <laughs> We do not belong to this world. Please stand with me.
as Moses has a revelation. Exodus 33 of God's judgment and God's grace. We live many centuries down the line ourselves, having understood that we were objects of wrath. But now through the power of the gospel, we have been brought into a living hope that is Jesus Christ. So we too have experienced grace. Oh Lord, I pray for my friends and myself in this building this morning. Pray that as we, the church, the church, church being a body of people, called out of darkness into your wonderful light, get to demonstrate the power of your gospel in this world, that we would live in a way that brings glory and honor and praise to your name. I pray, Jesus, that we would live in the fullness of everything that your salvation has given us. I pray, Jesus, not only will we live in it, we're demonstrated in a way that this world would look at us and say, I want to taste personally and see what you have. Or should I say the other way around, see and taste. Father, I pray that we would be used of you in a distinguished way, releasing that which we know, that which we've tasted, seen ourselves and experienced and make known to this world that we live amongst. So you've reminded us again, we are not of this world. We are people blood-bought, blood-washed. That came at a price. And so therefore our lives are not our own. They belong to you. May we glorify you and honor you with this life that we live. In Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Let's just thank God for that word by giving him an underclap. Nice. She's, Nick, thank you so much. Eh? And we look forward to the rest of the series as, uh, yeah, we trust God as a people of his presence. Eh? That makes us distinct among the rest of the world. And so, again, just a reminder to those uh, who'd like to volunteer, please come and speak to me afterwards if you want to get involved.